Hi everyone, we are on Season 8, Episode 5, and today I have Matt Ram back with me. Hi Matt! Good morning Catherine, how's life treating you? I am very well, thank you, except I kind of look like I've been in a bare knuckle fight, I have to say. My hand is very, very sore. Um, and um, I cut my hand in three places the other day and I sh- sent Alan a picture. He was like, what have you done? I was like, I don't know. I moved the washing from the washing machine to the tumble dryer and I somehow cut my hand in three places. And um, and I've just said to him, I was like, this is clearly a sign I shouldn't do the laundry. I shouldn't be involved. <laughs> I'm, I'm not still calm to get out of the laundry, Catherine. It's a little bit over the top. Let's I know, I know. It is. It is genuinely have no idea how this happened at all. But how are you, Matt? <laughs> yeah, not too bad. Recovering from a cold, but um, you know, it's that kind of time of year, really. And I think the looking after our, our wonderful little grandson, and yeah. uh, on the basis that he goes to nursery three days a week, um, I, I think we're kind of suffering kind of grandparent bugs let me put Absolutely. it that way rather than when all these all this used to start when people were for the, for the parents at least when the child was uh five when yeah. school, um you get after, everything and anything you know, don't you he's been going to nurses since he's about 10 months old i think so um yes yes we're, we're, we're full of bugs of all types of sorts but you know it's 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 worth having to see him let me put it that way the odd bug and the odd sniffle is 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 well worth it. Small price to pay. Yes, absolutely. I was going to say when they are that little, you just bring home everything. One of my colleagues the other day, she picks up her child from nursery, and I have to say I felt really bad about this, but I thought it's one of those learning lessons. I have to say, as as a parent. And she was just like, oh, you know, my little one, he made some bread at, at nursery. I had some. It was the nicest bread possible, you know, <laughs> and all this stuff. And I just went, yeah. I was like, I'm sorry. I was like, but you've made a really rookie mistake here. And she was like, what? I was like, you don't know that that was his exact one that he made. I was like, that could be any child's bread. You don't know what germs you've just got now. And, and she was just like, oh, my, no. And I was just like, yeah. I was like, never eat anything that comes home from school. Leave uh, it for the kids. <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. I'm, I'm but, going to say nothing on that. But no, we've, uh, we've not eaten anything yet. So thank you for that. Learning. <laughs> it's absolutely learning lessons for all. Okay, everybody. Today we are talking about insurance options for people that have had or currently have prostate cancer. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. So Matt, always good to start off with. Can you please explain to us all what prostate cancer is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought it would be just taking a step back, as I usually do, just to explain um, a little bit more about the prostate itself, because I think when we look at prostate cancer, um, we can look at some of the, the signs and symptoms of prostate issues. Um, it's just good to step back just for a few minutes and look at really what the prostate is and what it does because what it does and where it is actually will give everybody a clue on some of the signs and symptoms to look out for so i may yeah. i may just do that very quickly um the prostate itself um is typically known as a gland and excuse me my nose is going already <clears throat> right okay um and it's found just below the bladder and, and in front of the rectum um, it's about the size of a walnut, although I have described it or seen it described as the size of a chestnut or a ping pong ball. I've heard it as the size of a satsuma. Satsuma? Goodness yes. gracious. Well, I was, I was, it was making my eyes water to think, well, <laughs> you know, a ping pong ball. And I, and I thought 
next article I read is going to be the size of a blooming football. And no, would, you never know. That well, I was going to say that'd be a concern, wouldn't it? That, that would, would be <laughs> underwriting-wise. We would want to know about that. Well, absolutely. So as I say, um, just below the bladder in front of the rectum, size of walnut, and importantly here, just in um, some of the signs and symptoms that men find themselves suffering from it actually surrounds the urethra and for those who are not necessarily completely up to speed with terminology that's the tube that enters enters the uh, urine from the bladder mm-hmm. you can immediately think that if if the, on, on basis that's where the prostate is located and it surrounds the urethra then any enlargement in that prostate is likely to cause uh, urinary symptoms which we can go on to a little bit later on um Again, as men age, the prostate tends to increase in size. And again, everybody will, I'm sure most anyway, will know that um, some urinary system, sorry, symptoms are pretty common in older men. And uh, that's actually quite natural because, as I say, the prostate does tend to increase in size and therefore it starts to squeeze the the urethra, that tube. Um, Its function is pretty important particularly in um, reproduction keeping mankind and womankind going and it produces its main function is to produce the fluid that makes a part of the semen otherwise known as a seminal fluid and it also plays an important role in uh, hormone production uh, linked to testosterone and also it helps regulate urine flow so going back to this 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 urine issue again um just for those who like a little bit of detail, and I promise I won't go into too much here, uh, the prostate can be divided into three different areas. Um, the inside of the prostate, and it does actually, the prostate actually does have two lobes. Um, it's called the tra- transition zone, and this is right in the in the centre, um, but also surrounds the upper part of the urethra, so that urine tube. And this is the area of the prostate that tends to undergo benign, so in other words, non-cancerous growth in old age, something called, or technically called, benign prostatic hypertrophy, or BPH. So hypertrophy is enlargement, um, but benign is an an important word to be used there. And if it presses against the bladder and the urethra, it can can, uh, lead to difficulties in urinating. Then there's a central zone, but also, uh, and finally, uh, there's the peripheral zone, which is at the back of the prostate near the rectum. Hence why doctors will often use the uh, the DRE or digital rectal examination, which is effectively uh, a gloved finger up, inserts up into the rectum to feel the shape of the prostate. And you'll, and a lot of a lot of men, um, if they suffer for any any uh, issues. Um, particularly trying to go to the toilet, have a wee, then doctors will often do that test and they will feel um, the the shape of the prostate, see if it's smooth, feel whether it's enlarged and they will act accordingly. Um, it has to be said here that the importance of the DRE is because malignant tumours mostly develop in that outside part of the prostate so that that examination that's really why that examination is done You'll, i've often seen i've seen many many reports thankfully um, mostly positive where the where the prostate is described as uh smooth 
um, if it's got bumps and lumps on it, then then the uh, individual will be referred for further tests. Yeah. In terms of uh, the testing themselves, um, the most commonly known test, to be honest with you, is the PSA test, prosthetic, sorry, prosthetic, what am I on about? Prostate-specific antigen test. Um, it can provide early notice of prostate cancer, but also can provide false positives. Um, this is a really interesting one, because I do um, prostate cancer training in, in part of my training course. Sure, and yeah. when um, and I, I don't think you can understate just how wrong the PSA can be, because I think it's when I was doing it, and it was on the NHS site that it said three quarters of people will be told that they have prostate cancer when they don't. And that 15% of people will be told that they don't have it when they do. Yeah. And I mean, that's just phenomenally inaccurate. And it's it's so bizarre that that's still used or it seems, still seems to be the the best way of checking it at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would agree with what you say there. I've got probably slightly different um, numbers, but nevertheless, they are not good enough by any stretch of the imagination. Um Yes, PSA is certainly the the, the, the most well-known test. Um, I've had PSA tests myself, yeah. by the way, I would add, because I'm I um, for self-awareness rather than any symptom. But yeah. yeah <clears throat> um, it can produce false positives. You're absolutely right. And maybe just to go into explain that a little bit more, that raised PSA can be due to recent sexual activity. You uh. talked about the prostate and, and its production or its involvement in seminal fluid and PSA is actually found in some seminal fluid okay right. so due to recent sexual activity a urinary tract infection or an enlarged prostate you know the the, the benign prosthetic <laughs> I can't say it this morning but I think about prosthetics at the moment haven't you <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not really sure how that's going to fit in with this whole area that we're talking about <laughs> but you know <laughs> No, well, you never know, do you, in the future? Well, you, know, you never know. Yeah, the laboratory. You know, There's always advancements in different things. Indeed. Well, yeah. Anyway, not prosthetic at all, but the benign prostatic uh, hypertrophy, uh, or even because of extensive exercise, running marathons, or some really, really hard um, Ironman type of uh, event. Oh, interesting. So I I've got a figure here that it's only got a ninety percent accuracy rate. Um, and as you quite rightly said, and even more importantly, that some people can have a normal PSA, but despite having prostate cancer. Yeah. So now the, the whys and wherefores, again, I think we could go on to this, but I mean, I, Catherine, I'm sure you were around. I know you know you were a, a, a very young lady in the yes. nicest possible way, I might have. Thank you. Um, but the the government back in the, in the early 2000s, in the noughties, is that the pronunciation? The, the I have no idea. Just go for it. Yeah, probably the noughties. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, 2002, 2003, the government decided that they were going to introduce PSA testing for everybody over the, over the age of 50. But yeah. that, and, and that, in fact, caused quite a seismic change in the critical illness industry, um, whereby uh, wordings were changed for prostate cancer that uh, insurers would only pay out on uh, Gleason's seven or more talking about Gleason's a little bit later on yes um however because of exactly the the issues that we just mentioned um it was abandoned 
So really, in the last 20 odd years, they haven't really come up with anything better, although that is changing. Um, I I read quite a few articles about how uh, better tests are coming on board, but they're not widely spread yet. Um, So is there anything else particularly? I mean, there are better tests around, uh, and really those are uh, things like uh, MRI scans, um and other scanning techniques they are they are by by uh far far better ways of finding uh, yeah so, with uh, biopsies and stuff as well wasn't there? yeah the thing with biopsies is that they tend to many people actually get, get infections of the prostate oh. from a biopsy so it's not um it's not the test of choice let me put it that way for right. clinicians i might add uh, but you're absolutely right. Biopsy can help. But if you if you think of a biopsy, and it's a biopsy is the same with any organ. Now the prostate. Now whether it's the size of a, a walnut, a ping pong ball, or a football. No, let's forget football just for a second. Yeah. Rather big. Um, it's quite a small organ uh, gland. Sorry. If yeah. you think of somebody doing a liver biopsy, it's huge. The liver. Yeah. Now biopsy, you're going to take a fine needle aspiration. You're going to take a few cells from one part. One tiny part of an so organ. So could miss it, couldn't it? It could miss it completely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So you'll probably find at the end of the day, then you, the um, it, it's a mixture. The best course of action that is around at the moment um, is is a mixture of all these things: a PSA, um, the, the the rectal examination, uh, MRI scan, and maybe a biopsy. But noticing the downside of those. Yeah. Um, is that okay in terms of the, the of the prostate? Yeah, what it is. Yeah, definitely. What it is in terms of what is prostate cancer, which I think was your initial query. Then um, it's it's an interesting one. Let's be honest about it. Um, prostate cancer. Um, that that wonderful term, cancer again. Uh, it can kind of not exactly be brought into question, but is is this type of cancer serious or not? And the answer to that is yes, it can be, mm. uh, but there are often very low uh, scoring types of prostate cancer where certainly um, what we call stage one. I know these stagings can be quite uh, confusing, but I'll, I'll try and uh, shed some light on that a yeah. bit later. Uh, but stage one prostate cancer has a hundred percent survival rate over five years. That's good. So you can see that um, you know it, the very early stages of this cancer, um, in terms of mortality, don't really it doesn't really come into play in terms of a of a, of a killer. Let me put it that way. Now, in terms of, I'll, I'll stick to what's relevant really to insurance and what we will all know and, and see from, particularly from critical illness covers, um, is the Gleason score. Yeah. Um, now, interestingly, the Gleason scores tend, in more modern times, seem to be um, going out of fashion, if I can call it that. Oh, um, interesting. And well, it's interesting for critical illness definitions, um, but it's something <laughs> much more simple than a, a Gleason score, just just by sheer grading. 
um, it is the grade group mm. of, of um, one to five, one being the least concerning, five being the worst. But either which way, I'm going to stick to Gleason's because that's the one that we all probably are aware of the most. And um, how a Gleason score is arrived at is an interesting one for a start. It's, it's, um, it's a score or a rating that, that comes from a, a uh, laboratory technician, albeit a very, very skillful one, looking at the prostate gland, obviously post-prostatectomy, mm. and um, dividing it up and looking at the uh, the cells that are within that um, organ, that, that gland. And what they effectively do is take um, two readings, if you want. They will take um, the most common cell pattern and add it to the second most common cell pattern. Yeah. Cell patterns would dip, uh, are an indicator of how those those cells have mutated or not in terms of um, forming cancer. Okay, what we what is commonly known as cancer, and then each is given a score of one to five, and then the scores are added together, and you arrive at the Gleason score. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's an overall picture of the way that the, the prostate has been impacted by the change in, in cells. And we all know, I a lot of lot of listeners will know that a score of seven or over on, on the Gleasons is considered as cancer. Mm-hmm. A score of six or lower is considered much lower risk. But with um the current um plans that are out in the market at the moment, the critical illness plans that are out in the market, that can still um result in a claim but for a less advanced cancer. And that's a relatively recent development, is my understanding, Catherine. Yeah, I would yeah, that, I think In terms of yeah. less, cover for less advanced cancers, I think after 2002-03, all, all kind of cancers under the Gleason score of seven were excluded. But now in more recent terms, I think the ABI's recent definition change, well, recent inverted commas definition changes now allowed for claims for less advanced cancer as well. Well, yeah, we've definitely got claims for less advanced cancer. It's interesting what you're saying there about the numbers because we don't tend to get um, details of like those numbers in a sense. So, you know, we wouldn't know usually. It's, it's a bit like with heart attacks, you know, when it's, you know, when insurers go, um, so it's a bit of a side time because we're looking at the troponin levels. We don't yeah. know in a sense as advisors, as policyholders. No. So like, oh, well, that insurer, if your troponin level hits this number, that means they do pay out. And But this one you have to hit a number that's, I don't know, so many higher for them to pay out. So we don't have that information. It's really interesting to hear that on that one. And I think um, in terms of the Gleason score, what's really useful as well is to say to to advisors especially, is that number seven can be a little bit of a pain in some ways. And um, so you've got six, seven, eight, nine, ten, in a sense, when it comes to Gleason score. So six, the the good thing about six and eight is that you know that the majority of cells and the minority of cells have been in the same kind of level. So six would be classed as three plus three. So the majority of cells are three and the minority of cells are still three. I know this probably doesn't make sense, but just bear with me until I get to seven. So with seven, what's really important to know as an advisor, someone might say to you the Gleason score was seven, but it's really important to know if it was seven, which is three plus four, or seven, which is four plus three, because the first number that leads it is where the majority of cells are and where the majority are behaving. So a three plus four means that most cells are still within this three number, but some have gone to level four. And with the when it's four plus three, 
forgive me for all the numbers. It means that the majority of cells have been in the four stage, but only, and only a minority is still at that three level. Um, and that can really change the indications that you get in terms of the offer, because one of them is saying that, you know, the cancer has obviously advanced more than the other. I just thought I'd bring that one in there. I know. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting point that you raised there. <clears throat> and, by the, you know, I am an underwriter by trade and I understand exactly what you're saying, by the yeah. way. Um, and yeah, absolutely true. Uh, it's interesting, just sniffing back to that grade group. I wasn't actually going to mention the grade group, but I'm glad yeah. I did because you just highlighted something there in that um, grade group one, sorry if I've just said this, but is a Gleason score of six or less. Okay, Gleason pattern three plus three or less plus three. To, to raise your point, mm. a Gleason seven three plus four is a grade two. A Gleason's seven four plus three is a grade three. Yeah. So your new grades, rather than having two sevens three plus four and four plus three, yeah, is are now two and three. They are very. Separate. That's going to make it so much easier. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm glad I mentioned grades. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Well, it's one of the key things I go through because I, I always say <clears throat> on my training, I'm just like, right, there's certain things that I won't do research for unless I know. And it's like, I'll say the PSA reading, right? We know it's absolutely horrendous, actually, in but, terms of like accuracy, but we have to have it. It's, well, it's very, it's the, it is useful. Sorry, it is useful. But yes, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, in terms of accuracy, that's the thing, you know, and then oh, the no, things no, I know sure. that, you know, it's, you yeah. know, the underwriters, you do need it. Um, and, and, but I always say I need the prostate reading and I need the Gleason score because it's that thing again of you just, you don't know. And it can, you can fall on those times where, you know, people say, oh, it's all fine now, but maybe the thing is, is you need to know what it is now, but you need to ideally know what it was originally as well, because, oh, yeah, you know, so. you know, you guys are going to want to see, the underwriter's going to see how they've responded to treatments, what treatments happened, um, and, and things like that. And, and without that information, in terms of doing your research, you can do your research, but all you're going to be able to come away with and all the underwriters are going to be able to come away with if you don't have those PSA and Gleason readings is they're just going to say to you, well, it's either anywhere from a small yeah. premium increase to a decline. So you yeah. do, that's all, the only answer you're going to get. So it's so important to have these these specific details and, and people can get them quite easily if they just yeah, ring up their so. GP or see the letters um, that they've been sent. But it's also important as well as that to be very clear that with some people, especially with cancer, they can compartmentalize. Um, the fact that they've had cancer and so they might literally have put it in a little box in their head and thrown it away in a sense and they might not be able or in the position mentally to be able to um, ring up the GP or to talk about these kinds of figures they really do need it to be um, something that's that they need to keep a really clear barrier between themselves and those figures and stuff if you are in that case then you know you can potentially still advise somebody but you just again have to be so clear to them and say that's absolutely fine we can go ahead but i just i cannot give you an accurate indication i just don't we won't know until they've seen that medical report yeah absolutely fair yeah um as you know i've <clears throat> i've had stage three colon cancer so uh, i can i can uh sympathize with with how people react to it there's there's no two ways about it so absolutely okay well thank thank you for that um i've got a question you, matt yeah i was gonna say do you want to continue or fire yeah it or, well, i've, or I've got a, yeah i've got a question so 
in, in terms of underwriting, so really standard, and I hope people are starting to see the theme here when we talk about underwriting risk. So it's like when you're diagnosed, you know, ideally the month in the year, what treatments or medications have you had, what investigations, obviously with prostate cancer, <clears throat> it's really important with this one because with the majority of cancers, ex excluding blood cancers, it, we do do staging and grading. With prostate cancer, obviously we are getting more of that grading side of things that like you say, but we do have the Gleason score and the PSA, which is why it's so important to, to know as well. But I have to say, in terms of underwriting outcomes, it's very different um, with prostate cancer versus some other cancers because, um, I mean, there's the, obviously there's a complete range of different um, outcomes, different treatments, and they will de determine um, as to the um, options for somebody. But people can, at times, get life insurance when they actively have prostate cancer. But, and I, I'm, I know that there'll be medical reasoning behind this, so I'm just going to really quiz you on it, if that's okay. So people, <laughs> and you, you know where I'm going with this probably already, but so prostate cancer, well-controlled, well-managed, um, we can potentially get life insurance for people. But for women's or female cancers, such as, you know, breast cancers and things like that, I'm assuming that they're not more, that they're not having they're not a cancer that can be just maintained and treated in, in a sense, because it, it's 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 just really strange sometimes when you look at it and you think, well, hang on a minute. All the obviously the majority of cancers would be a no if you actively have it for for life insurance or any of the other insurances. And for a lot of obviously the women's cancers, so the breast cancer, ovarian cancer, um, womb cancer, anything like that um, is would be a, a, a no if you actively had it. But prostate cancer is a maybe so so what why is prostate cancer different please yeah okay i think i think there are <clears throat> i'll come back to you with two points one is the term cancer okay i mm. think the term cancer can be uh is used although everybody said thinks <clears throat> and i can understand it they say cancer oh my goodness this is going to be a death sentence or it's going to be, uh, I suppose the term is they immediately think malignant. Okay. Yeah. Now, malignancy can mean, a, is, a, is, is there was a huge range within that term malignant and therefore cancer. With prostate cancer, fortunately for, for, for those who suffer from it, there is um, prostate cancer generally particularly if caught early, the usual caveats with any sort of cancer, the rate of growth, generally speaking, so the way that those cells differentiate themselves, start to grow in a random fashion, the, you mm. know, the standard kind of definition of cancer, um, is much, much slower than in, to use some of the cancers that you've just raised, um, the, the breast cancer, uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, things like that. Now, why that is, um, I can't, I do not know why prostate cancers um, grow, tend to grow, not always, but tend to grow at a much, much slower rate than other types of cancer. Um, maybe it's the, the unique cellular structure of a prostate. Um, I, I, am, I am not in a kind of a, a consultancy capacity to give you it. Not, uh, to give you an absolute answer for that, apart from to say that the prostate cancer cells do not, uh, they are some of them 
<laughs> so you have to caveat everything by some and generally do not replicate in a random way very quickly um, and as such this type of cancer um, is, is far slower growing than the other types of cancers that you've mentioned you're mm -hmm. absolutely right that and again it's one of the reasons why um, I talked about prostates and, and kind of went into a little bit about where they are, what they surround, their function, what have you. But um, if I can just give you an answer, give you an example of, of this, only I mean, it is post-COVID, but I saw a statistic somewhere, and we know what that what's happened with the NHS and, and surgery and things like that with uh, in the post-COVID environment. But <clears throat> Latest figures show that only 5% of men undergo treatment within a year of being diagnosed with prostate cancer. Okay. That's quite so a I... statistic. With the remainder placed under active surveillance or watch, or I'm not sure what this term means, watchful waiting. It's a wonderful term. It doesn't really fill me with a lot of confidence, but either which way. And yes, you know, I, I um, have underwritten in the last 12 months, certainly, men who have prostate cancer and who have had, um, albeit they have had medical loadings, but pretty small ones, to say the least. Yeah. Um, but it's all around, really, the... And what can I just maybe add here, um, and hooks back into what I was saying about where the prostate is, da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, there is an increasing view that the uh, the damage caused by particularly prostatectomies um, to a man's life um, far outweighs the actual mortality risk of of living with that cancer. So I think you'll find. I think what I'm finding, what I'm seeing, what I'm reading, is that um, prostatectomies, for instance, are only carried out when it is absolutely necessary because of the fear of the side effects and there are other types of treatment other than obviously other than just prostatectomies um and these are growing my understanding is that these these are becoming much far more sophisticated in 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 having to deal with prostate problems uh, however the current medical view is to um is to leave in terms of surgery uh, radiotherapy um, all these other types of treatment that are around there, cryotherapy, um, to leave well alone until it's absolutely necessary. Noting that these are cancers that are caught, caught early. Yes. Once they've already gone to a Gleason's um, seven or more, um, then, you know, that, that that's a different um, outcome, or, or sorry, a different different clinical picture, likely to have a different, different clinical picture in terms of the treatment. Yeah. But, you know, so I think have I explained it very well there? Or um say so li living with prostate cancer is is common. Yes. Uh, yes, I was gonna say that is a really common thing. I was just it was that thing of like I just wonder why it's it's different, yeah, it's, you it's know. Just, it's, it's the cells don't react in the same way. Yeah, uh, basically, they don't. It's not a, the, the 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 duplication or replication of those cancer cells. Just does not seem, or isn't, doesn't seem. It isn't. They 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 don't multiply and spread at the same rate as other as many of the other cancers that we see. That's, That's fundamentally the reason. And therefore, the outcome 
from a mortality perspective is um, is far better. Okay. I'll caveat by saying at the, at the early stages. So you're looking at Gleason's. Yeah. Losing Gleason's, we're losing. We're looking up to up to including six, seven. Then it, the ballpark changes. Then. Yeah. And when it comes to prostate cancer, I know I've mentioned the PSA, we've mentioned Gleason. Is there any other kind of terms that we should be looking for, like any kind of treatments? Because I know that there's, I mean, there's a ridiculous amount of treatments <laughs> when I'm doing the training and I go through <clears throat> them um, with people. And, um, you know, are there any that would make us, I think as with anything, when when we hear cancer um, as an advisor, as an underwriter, if someone's had chemotherapy, that would usually be an indication that there really has needed to be a um quite sick you know in a sense it's 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 not the first part no, is it really chemotherapy it's, it's, very, it's, much, it's the, very much secondary yeah yeah it's the we need to get in there and get this kind of thing so if you hear chemotherapy then that would indicate to you that it hasn't been a mild case unless and i do say this as well unless sometimes someone's been treated privately there's quite a few times when i chat uh-huh. to people and i do say to them like especially with heart conditions sometimes um i tend to find this um and i don't want to be stereotypical but um sort of like men who own businesses who've got quite a high value um they'll have maybe had you know sort of like something done like um a little bit of um you know i can't think of the name of it but you know it's a bit of an operation to the heart as like a preventative rather than a reactive and then he kind of looked at it and he said why would they've done that because that's not you wouldn't usually get that you know i would usually expect you to be quite more ill um yeah, yeah, to be able yeah. to get that treatment and then you realize actually and you find out that they've had private medical insurance so actually it's been has been done as a preventative rather than necessarily a reactive or there's been something there very early so they've just gone oh let's just get in and get it quickly kind of thing and yeah. it's really useful sometimes to ask that i always find of people is just to check as well was this done nhs was it private because it can really actually change again the outcomes um because i think everybody goes to the default of thinking this was done um on the nhs which somebody would have to be much worse in terms of their diagnosis to get the treatment than they would do if it was private um but yeah are there any kind of terms or anything specific that we should be looking at any kind of complications at all well i think you've quite rightly said that you said already that the the, the Gleason score, or maybe uh, start introducing a grade group as well. If if um, I, I've not seen that in a, in a, a prostate cancer report, by the way, no the grade group. Um, but if if you can get those those two important things out in terms of um, the, the treatments, you said that you've 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 have already got an extensive list. So you've got prostatectomy, radiotherapy, brachiotherapy, yeah. um, hormone therapy. therapy. I always, I always warn the fellas before I start talking about cryotherapy <laughs> as to what that is. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. I was like, just, just bear with me. I'll talk about it. It'll be over and done with soon. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because if you, I mean, um, if, if you look at the, um, Critical illness definitions and for, for low grade or, or early stage, I think it's probably the more common way of describing it. Then treatment is always a, a part of the payout, mm. part of the definition. Yeah. And yet, of the ones we've just mentioned, I didn't mention high intensity ultrasounds, but I'm going to sort of stop giving treatments after that. <laughs> it's interesting how some insurers do not take into account some of those treatments in terms of satisfying the treatment part of the definition. 
so it, it is an interesting one it has to be said um i suppose it's when i say to people because like when I'm, I'm advising people to take out critical illness cover and obviously i would never ever negate any kind of treatment or anybody's um views or oh, feelings towards no, no, doing it but absolutely. i always say to people you know along the lines of you know if it's a you know in the broad sense, and forgive me, Max, I know that this is going to cover all eventual eventualities, but I'll say oh, to sure. in, a, in a broad sense, if you were going to say, like, have a very, very minor, very, very minor skin cancer, and it was going to be whipped off at the GP, and you're out and done and dusted in 20 minutes, it's not being, in, you know, it's, it's not being anywhere kind of invasive, you know, very, 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 very minor, very early caught. I'll say to people, that's not usually, you know, you're not going to get 300 grand payout for that. You know, um, it's it would be unusual if it did in a sense. Obviously, if it, obviously skin cancer sure. certainly can pay out, but I'm talking very very mild here. Um, but I say I said it's when you're going to get a payout, it's where you, you're going to be uncomfy for a bit. You know, yeah. I sort of like, and that's I think probably the closest I can get to without actually being able mm-hmm. to say this staging, this grading, because we we just don't have that information as advisors. But you know, I'll say to them, it's it's where it's not going to be pleasant. It's not, and obviously all cancers are unpleasant, but it's you're going to feel physically it's 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 not going to be nice um what you're going to go through there's going to need to be some interventions in there and i suppose with some of them matt those interventions you were just mentioning there like i suppose the ultrasound one it's i, I can imagine it's not invasive and no no by definition no, yeah no. and it's just it there's not really going to be that impact to actually having to have you know some kind of obviously surgery where you want a general anesthetic where where you're going to have much more of a stronger intervention and and recovery period due to um obviously the the um you know i'm thinking especially if we're talking ovarian cancers there's a, there's a significant amount of muscle groups that they're going to need to go through probably to to get there and get it all out or or even for obviously for the bowel or anything like that so um so yeah i imagine some of those ones where you said they don't meet the definition it's it's probably because it's it's something where they're probably going to be able to walk to... out, aren't they, the same yeah. day, I imagine. It goes, I mean, I think there are going to be two ways about this. One one is seeing that if you go back to the really old days of dread disease, mm. for people who are old enough like me, then that's what critical illness was initially called. Um, that's it, a it, chirpy term for it, wasn't it? Oh, no, it's wonderful, wasn't it? I wonder which yeah. market guru came up with that one. Anyway. Um... I'm going to say it was a man. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right too. <laughs> um, you know, is, is, is it is a less invasive treatment really um, a, a dread disease? Is it really critical? But you know, those those are sub, such subjective arguments to have. Yeah. As you, as you pointed out yourself just a minute ago, mm-hmm. that it's it's um, it's a difficult one to have. I, I I have to say, and also again, you've touched on it. The actual psychological impact of being told you have cancer. Even though yeah. it's an earlier one, you know that that you didn't in the slightest infer it, but nobody should um, out there, particularly on the sales side, should underestimate how people react to the yeah. term cancer. Well, I was going to say as well, you know, that that example that I give, the reason I do it is that, and when I do it, say it in the training as well, is just along the lines of if somebody hears cancer, they're not hearing cancer as specified definition. No, they're not hearing the insurance term. They're hearing oh my word, I've got cancer. And that is, all of us have heard, you know, constantly about the amount of people that die from cancer. Um, Not necessarily 
as I was going to say, there's a lot of focus on that, not necessarily as much focus, but, you know, there is more and more about the amount of people who survive cancer yeah. um, and who live with cancer long term as well. You know, there's there's a significant amount of people in those um, brackets. But and I think that's why it's so important as an advisor to be very clear from the start, because the last thing you want to do is to have that situation where you've arranged something for somebody, they are diagnosed with something, and then they feel that you've actually not been clear with them or that it's not living up to what you said it would be. And they're, they're going to be paying a good amount of money for these insurances. And we we want to be clear about that because, you know, we, we live in this day in, day out, all of us. Majority of people don't. They're arranging something eight years down the line. They're told they have cancer. They go back and they look at this document that says it'll pay out if someone's diagnosed with cancer. They're not looking at the little bits of wording, but they might just remember that conversation and hopefully remember it where you've said to them, look, you know, hopefully we'll do it. We'll go forward with the claims. We'll support you every single which way. But sometimes, you know, the cancers aren't always eligible for a payout, which I'm sure doesn't help anybody at all who doesn't reach that level or just misses that level. And, you know, the positive is that if you aren't eligible for the payout, that your cancer hasn't been too intense. Um, and it's it not too intense. That's not the right wording, but it hasn't been you know, the seriously nasty types. However, for the person who has cancer, they're going to feel that their cancer is the seriously nasty type and they are going to feel that it's intense. And um, and it's important that we just try and really manage that mindset and that um, kind of forward thinking as to, as to what people might be expecting. Yeah. Yeah, that's very well said, I think. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'm so worried that, that some of the wording that I used then wasn't right, like I'm saying not too intense or not one of the super nasty ones. And it's like, I, I wouldn't ever want to offend anybody by suggesting that any cancer isn't. But it's just in terms of these insurances, there are, you know, there are specific cutoffs. As, you know, I don't see them. I'm sure, Matt, you know, that your your wife is a claims handler, so she would know these kind of cutoffs, things like that. And I'm sure you've spoken to it at times, but... You know, I have no idea if a stage two grade B cancer would pay out in full or be a partial payment or or not meet some definitions. And I don't know if a stage one C would meet different ones. You know, I mean, I, I, depending upon what they are, they should obviously, at least what we were saying for those less advanced cancers would hopefully sit within them. But then that, again, sometimes comes down to the way that the insurers word it, because some of them will say less advanced cancers and they'll name like a list of different ones. And you might just so have to have had one that doesn't fit in that list, whereas another one might just say less advanced cancers, but leave it very broad and open, which would actually include um, that diagnosis. So it's 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 very complicated, as we all know. No, absolutely. I mean, I hope I hope that the the ABI definitions unkick, and I think this is where it does get complicated. By the way, on critical illness insurance, um, the you know the. I know that the, the guys in the committee, the ABI, and the um, the, insur uh, the the insurance advice that they get, as well as uh, oncologists and goodness knows what else, all of the specialist people work very very hard in trying to make these things as clear as possible. But you're absolutely right that um, saying to somebody who's being diagnosed, they've been told that they have cancer, and saying, well, it's not severe enough under this definition, that's a difficult conversation to have. And that's why, to an extent, Catherine, we've talked about this before, why I think that the claims assessors have such a difficult job, and also, you know, we should really take their hats off to them, because these are the people 
I couldn't cope with it emotionally. I was going to say, I just couldn't. Hats off to them. Yeah, I I completely agree. And having been, well, I I just do a fair amount of claims myself, but having been married to Teresa, well, how do I put it? Living together for the best part of 37 years, married married for 35, 34, Mm. um, and she's been a claims assessor all her life. Um, Take my hat off to her completely on doing that job day in, day out. Um, Yeah. So, so it's it's a difficult one, but I do so, know the people behind who, who come up with these definitions do try, and um, they're absolutely darndest to, to 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 make sure these policies are valued for money, whatever that means when you have a diagnosis of cancer. Absolutely, I think just just this cancer business again. It's this term cancer. It it, it I'm not sure if maybe is as as whether we've got this right you mentioned a tiny little um sorry a tiny little uh, subjective words you mentioned somebody going into um the gp surgery just to have a uh, some a skin cancer removed now it's highly unlikely that in clinical terms that that would really be cancer yeah they it's probably told that it is cancer or early cancer, or it might turn into cancer. And it's yeah. that big C word again, you know. And, um, yeah, I, I think we've probably d- done that done that particular conversation to death, but I think you're absolutely yeah. right in suggesting to everybody that when they potentially are having conversations with people, and there are other diseases as well, not just yeah. mostly cancer, um, that they're just wary of the kind of death sentence mentality that is still still exists out there for many people when they hear that term. So Absolutely. well done you for raising it, in my, my opinion. <laughs> Can I just go back to... I don't raising know, everything. <laughs> uh, we are getting know? towards the end. So we've okay. we've, we've not just, got long. Go on. One thing out, you mentioned terminology and so on yes. and so forth. I think that's um, where, where we got to. And again, I'm going to have to go back to critical illness here. But if you look at the definition... Um, we've talked about Gleason's, um, but you'll also find in the less advanced cancer definitions, you, you come back to the good old clinical TNM classification. Ah, yes. So we've got, you've got that one as well on the less advanced cancers. So if, you, if you're looking at, some, you know, for life insurance, for instance, um, it, it's worth mentioning to your potential client whether that particular, they've been given yeah. that particular classification as well. Definitely. Um, and... Uh, TNM very very quickly for those who haven't listened to to um, previous podcasts. Uh, T tumor size N is nodes number of nodes impact is in M is metastasize. So in terms of the of the um, uh, less advanced cancers for critical illness, you uh, the def- the the scale given the grading given has to be a minimum of a T two A, which okay. means that's a certain size. The A means that um, the tumour is confined to one half or less and half of one of yeah. the prostate's two lobes. N means, um, so remember, this is the minimum. Yeah. Um, no nodes impacted and it's not metastasized. So you are got to pay out there on relatively early cancer. But TNM may be one that your clients have heard of as well as Gleason. Oh, definitely. 
it's always a good thing to have to so say like if you ask someone the staging and grading and they haven't got a clue what you want about and then you start asking well do you know the size of it and things like that you know sometimes that can help as well and actually you know, might say it was two centimeters or something but then yeah, go yeah. right was it do you have a tnm you know have that arsenal there as well just to do that right as we're getting towards the end uh matt what would you be expecting in terms of life kick and IP for somebody who has prostate cancer? And let's say it's we're looking at a very favorable, it's really well um, maintained, it's stable, it's low PSA, low Gleason score. What would you be expecting? Okay, the, the, the manuals are changing. The, the, oh. the insurance guidelines do tend to change on this subject. And uh, for life insurance, um, I think I mentioned a... Uh, an example of a case I've seen relatively recently, um, very low stage, um, and the, the the case was initially postponed six months from the date of diagnosis. Yeah, and then there, there was a uh, a loading of fifty uh, percent to the loading throughout the term of the policy. Yeah, and if you think about the, the, the this disease is kind of going into the you know the kind of the chronic category yeah. as opposed to acute and um, with very high mortality early on long you survived da, 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 then um the risk can maybe go down to, to normal terms standard rates yeah then then a lot of these ratings for prostate cancer now are, are being um loaded on the base of a a continual medical loading throughout the term of the policy yeah where the more severe cancers still attract uh loadings on a a, a rating that would attract a, a certain amount of money per thousand pounds worth of sum assured. Permanent rating, yes. So we'll, so we'll see that kind of change. Um, in terms of critical illness, a very low stage critical illness, um, then I am seeing a kind of a, 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 a move to exclusions. Yeah, okay. I would expect that. Yeah. Bear in mind, you've also got low, you know, or, uh, you've got payout for low grade as well in there, not just over Gleason's, seven, seven or more on Gleason's. Um, so, so you're going to get the exclusion as opposed to a loading. Um, and income protection, <laughs> uh, I I can't, I, I must admit, I've not done a prostate cancer um, in its broadest definition of cancer for a very long time, but I'd be very surprised if insurers will cover it, income protection. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what I would um, be expecting too. <clears throat> and just before I go on to the case study to sort of finish off today, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, I think we've been able to do possibly um, standard terms for life insurance before, but yeah. it was where the readings were incredibly favorable and the person was actually quite old. Um, so I think it was just kind of seen as like, you know, these are really good readings and, you know, what we kind of expect the prostate to be doing this at this age, in a sense, yeah. you know, yeah. so it kind of seems a bit like we expect blood pressure to change as we get older, um, that type two diabetes becomes you know something again when people get older it's not always a given but you know it's people are more likely to develop it as they get older as they start to move less so it's not seen as a as big a concern as say somebody who's a lot younger um but one thing that i'm interested in just very very quickly is the whole thing about breast cancer exclusions versus prostate cancer exclusions in the family medical history so we do tend to find that with um, women who've um, got a family medical history of a close family member, so that's that'll usually be mother or sister. Obviously, male relatives can also have breast cancer, um, and at a youngish age, so probably you know, well under the age of sixty. 
that can lead to a breast cancer exclusion on the person's critical illness policy due to the family member. And you might even see that some insurers do a cancer exclusion. So you need to really, really watch those definitions as an advisor, make sure you're getting the best one. But we don't have the same when it comes to male life policies in the sense of prostate cancer. You don't get a prostate cancer exclusion if um, someone, a, a close male relative also had prostate cancer. What's the reasoning behind that? <laughs> it, is, that too, is that too big a question? <laughs> no, I don't, I, don't, are you, I don't believe in too big a questions, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think you, you should ask absolutely everything that you, uh, you, you want to ask. Um, I, I, let, me, let me say this. I am surprised that if, if a, uh, a male um, member of the family that is defined as close in insurance terms, i.e. father or brother who has had prostate cancer under the age of 60, um, it, they're not rated. I'm rated, yes, but what, not an exclusion. I would say, again, this probably comes down to... Um, lack of no i'm sorry i'm just trying to think through your the the way that you the, the actual question you've asked me there so for oh, you're saying an absolute exclusion yes but but for, for family history my view would be for critical illness then there, there, there's and what you're going to pay out for under critical illness, in other words, the 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 fact you've now got less advanced cancers mm. being paid out on, then there should be an exclusion. There you go. That's my view. Yeah, because the thing is, I don't want more exclusions. But well, I was going to say, by raising that, <laughs> by raising that, you may now force the industry to think, oh my goodness, we've Catherine, that Catherine Knowles. <laughs> this is a whole another. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's not do that but no it's just you know obviously there needs to be reason i just it's just one of those things because you know we do do quite a lot of stuff in terms of thinking like you know and, and i think there's maybe i think i heard someone once say well actually genetically there's more of a genetic link for breast cancer um within family than there is prostate cancer um yes I, you know I'm, I'm, so i can see that, that but you know, it just, you know, it's just one of those things where as a, as a woman looking at things and that, and you're just like, hang on a minute, you know, kind of thing. It could, but... well, be, it could well be, you know, that statistically, the dreaded statistics word, mm. um, that there are not a lot of men under the age of 60 who are actually diagnosed. Possibly not. Maybe it is more the Because of the nature of prostate cancer and therefore... Mm it becomes statistically insignificant possibly that doesn't necessarily but... become, and underwriters and you know the, the guys that come up with the rating so a mixture of underwriters claims people i should add as well and actuaries mm. um oh, there's lots just, of, yeah they don't just think that statistic means this they will look at a statistic and say well is that reasonable does that make sense they might talk they will almost oh, yeah. down to a, a consultant in that particular field and you know all, all I can say is I do know of I certainly know of a father and son um a father was diagnosed with prostate cancer his son went for um uh, a test because of that and he had it as well oh. and he was a young, a young chap right. but his father wouldn't have been under age of 60 so from a disclosure perspective, you would have been okay. 
So you wouldn't need it to say about the dad, but you need to say about yourself. Oh, sorry. After the fact, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally, just give you a brief example. Not, not a specific example. Yes, you've about to yeah. told told the insurer about himself. Yeah, very much. Absolutely. So. But the thing is, I'm sure there's reasoning. The age of sixty. Yeah, there's always going to be reasonings from that, but it's just kind of you know, as as an advisor, sometimes you see something and you're just like, I just wonder what the reasoning is. You know, it'd just be nice to have an answer on that. So that's really, really useful to oh, have with that, Matt. I'm not sure if I'll give you an answer though, Catherine. So the it's answer, right. the um, <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, it's a, it's a feeling of it's what I would do logically. Uh, yeah. However, I'm going to find out for you. Thank you. I appreciate so there, that. There Hopefully, get an update on a further one. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'll go and I'll find out for you what the uh, the the, uh, the answer is. The answer to that is, or the best thinking that's possibly available at the moment is. Yes. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. On, so I have a case study. So um, case study for everybody. So somebody in their late forties, a gentleman, non-smoker, and this person had actively had prostate cancer. Um, well. No, I was going to say no. So they'd had prostate cancer and they also had another condition. I'm not going to detail it because I just feel like it could be too identifiable. Um, but there was another condition as well that affected the premium. So when I'm giving the final premium, please bear in mind that that's not just a premium in relation to having had the prostate cancer. It is also to do with something else that did affect the, the amount. So for this person, the prostate had been removed um, five months before terms were offered. So that's just to give you a bit of a time frame in terms of we'd had the diagnosis, but the surgery had been done about five months since then. And um, so obviously in terms of indication, we had indication from underwriters probably about three to four months after surgery. But um, as with anything, you have to wait for the GP reports. So for this person, the Gleason score was initially six and their PSA reading was 7.7. Um, and they were the readings that were taken eight months um, before terms were offered, um, the PSA had dropped to 0.1 by the time that the terms were offered. So that's a huge drop um, in that PSA reading. And for this person, um, based upon their needs and everything, life insurance has arranged a £50,000 over 17 years. And the premium was approximately £22 per month. And that £22, as I say, it is a mixture of a rating due to having had the prostate cancer and also something else. So if it had just been the prostate cancer, it would have been even less than that. Um, so there we go. That is our case studies and everything today. I hope everybody that you found this useful. Thank you, Matt, as always, for joining me and giving me your insights. Uh, next time, we have Lisa Balboa with me again, um, and she's joining us from Hanoveri, and she's going to be talking about things in insure tech, how the insurance world and health technologies are changing, how it's potentially going to help us in terms of underwriting applications and providing uh, long-term health support to policyholders. Um, as always, if you want a CPD certificate for having listened to this, please visit the practical-protection.co.uk website where you can get a CPD certificate. Thank you to our sponsors, the Octo members. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. It's been lovely to speak to you. My pleasure. My pleasure, as always. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.